new insights into the complexities of autism. Up next on The Scope. Examining the latest research and telling you about the latest breakthroughs. The Science and Research Show is on The Scope. A recent report published in the journal Nature shows just how incredibly complex autism is. Here to talk with me about the findings and what they mean is Dr. Hilary Kuhn, an author on the paper and research professor at the University of Utah. Dr. Kuhn, what did you find in this study? Well, this this study involved a lot more um, data and human subjects than pretty much any other study that we've done so far. Um, In this study, this we greatly increased our knowledge of uh, genes with definitive evidence for association with autism risk. Now we're up to about 30 of those. Um, Probably about 70 more are very likely to be uh, associated with risk. But the other thing that we did was um, just to look at the the number of occurrences of mutations in these genes. We can make an estimate that there are probably over 1,000 genes that are actually associated with risk. So many, many genes out there uh, that we have not yet identified. I mean, this just shows how complicated autism is. Was that surprising to you? No, not at all. <laughs> so when we started out doing this this kind of work um, decades ago, people were hoping that uh, this would be a disorder that was maybe a, a few genes. Um, and then as studies progressed, it became, mm, okay, maybe a dozen, and then maybe, ooh, you know, maybe 20 and it's just, you know, the more we study this, the more complicated it becomes, which isn't probably all that surprising considering this is something that has to do with the brain, which is a very complicated organ. What implications do these findings have for genetic testing? Well, um, you know, certainly genetic testing is uh, hopefully something that will identify, make early identification uh, so that parents can get their, their kids into treatment earlier. Um, of course, the problem that a study like this brings about is that uh, we know that there are many, many genes that wouldn't be on a genetic test because we simply don't know what they are yet. Um, and in addition, the, the, the genes that are on there are, have variable uh, degrees of association with risk. So, for example, you might um, see a mutation in a person, assume that that's a risk muta- mutation, and and define that that person uh, may get autism, whereas they may need five, six, ten other factors in order to actually get the diagnosis. So our knowledge of the interplay between different risk factors is also, so far, very limited. So at this stage, um, genetic testing couldn't definitively point out every person who may get autism or who may not get autism. This is actually kind of similar to to other complicated conditions out there. You know, I I kind of think about this as the way we we conceptualize risk for something like heart disease or obesity, where we all kind of know that, yeah, there are genetic factors out there, but um, if you have any particular risk factor, it doesn't necessarily mean that you will get a diagnosis. So while the risk factors are important um, and maybe knowing about them are important and that would lead to some preventative measures, uh, the way that we have of defining risk is is far from complete. In the 
the report um, in the journal Nature, um, you also looked at what types of genes are risk factors for autism. What, what did you find there? Yeah, so one of the things that the big studies are trying to do, because this looks so complicated, is to take the risk mutations, look at those genes, and try to group those genes into biological pathways, just to try to make the problem a little bit more simple. Um, and one of, the, one of the biological pathways that appears to be very important um, is genes that control synapses. So these are the communications that occur between nerve cells. Um, and that certainly makes some intuitive sense. Uh, another one, another pathway where there's several genes involved um, is in genes that, that uh, work to control expression uh, during, or genetic expression during development. So um, it's possible that for example, if a child might have a mutation in one or more of these genes, that then uh, they're more vulnerable, for example, to particular environmental uh, environmental hits that might happen during development. So that's just a really interesting gene pathway to sort of be coming to the fore. So it, it brings up possibilities for uh, studying all kinds of genetic environmental interactions. I think one thing that strikes me about those different classes of, of genes that are hit is that they all are sort of at a top of a top of a cascade of effects. I mean, if you if you impact how a synapse is made or if you impact how genes are turned on or turned off, I mean, that, that's going to have a lot of consequences downstream of that. Right. So yeah. The other thing to keep in mind, though, again, is, okay, say you have a mutation that's in a synaptic pathway. The brain is amazingly complex in that there are a lot of compensatory mechanisms. So you might have some sort of defect, but as humans, we have many ways of sort of getting around those particular defects. So you're right. These The cascade effect is probably hugely important. Um, but again, any one mutation may not... Um, put you over the edge as far as as risk. It may take that mutation plus a number of other um, more subtle mutations that mean that maybe your compensatory mechanisms don't work as well, or maybe that one environmental hit that occurred at a particular time in development was way more important than it would be for the next individual. But if you weren't exposed to that, you'd be fine. Do these findings also suggest something about autism itself, what, what autism is? You know, this is maybe the way we used to think about mental retardation as it being all one entity, and now we know that even X-linked mental retardation has dozens of different, uh, very specific syndromes. So it's likely that autism is hundreds of different disorders, and we lump them all together simply because... We don't understand enough to be able to split them out. There are some um, some particular syndromes that have been very specifically identified, like Rett syndrome, that result in uh, autistic behaviors and a diagnosis of autism, but they are very well characterized and we're, we know the genetic mutations. So that kind of thing is sort of like picking away at the iceberg, you know, getting at one particular rare syndrome after another. So how do you plan to untangle all this? I mean, what, what's the future of <laughs> this type of research? Well, okay, so there's a huge place for the large consortium studies. Um, really, with that kind of collaborative research, you start to 
be able to have enough uh, enough individuals who are participating, enough samples, enough people working on the problem together just to begin to make sense of it, to begin to see patterns um, in the results. So that is an absolutely crucial uh, part of this. We're kind of lucky in Utah in that I think we have another part to play that's important and that maybe can't be um, can't be done in many other places in the world, and that is simply with our really big, amazing families here. Um, the families that participate are are just incredibly unique in that they'll come in over and over and over. They will agree to be tested in multiple different ways so that we can start trying to figure out sort of specificities of their traits that they're carrying in their family. Um, and because we have families with three, four, five, sometimes ten um, individuals in, a, in just a nu- one nuclear family, we can really see how these particular genetic mutations occur together with very specific um, traits and characteristics. We can look at uh, their sort of historical information and try to figure out if there were any other environmental exposures. We can look at all of their medical history and try to figure out exactly uh, what some of these mutations might mean. Um, so something you, you just mentioned is the Autism Sequencing Consortium, and that you're part of that, and that's who published the paper. I, I actually find it really interesting that you're referred to as the Autism Sequencing Consortium instead of your individual names and institutions. You know, you bring up a really good point, which is, okay, so this is a collaboration of over, I think it's like 37 different institutions and hundreds of scientists working on this. Um, and everybody in this consortium is so concerned with just making progress, uh, scientific progress, much more concerned than their own careers or their own mm-hmm. um, making their, their name in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the authors actually agreed to simply list as the quote-unquote author of this paper that being the consortium and then give a link to a website that lists all the consortium members. It's a really nice thing to be able to see the evolution of scientific work being going towards this very collaborative, collegial uh, type of consortium where everybody's really working together to try to solve a very important problem. Interesting, informative, and all in the name of better health. This is the Scope Health Sciences Radio.